This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 68. Today is Friday, November 9th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined for a second time now in this podcast by NFL Insider based out of Denver. Benjamin Albright will be my guest today. We're talking about a handful of things, including the Des Bryant signing with the New Orleans Saints earlier this week. And I get Ben's reaction to being the one that broke that story, a story that he ultimately did not get credit for. That was some bullshit right there. I get his reaction to that. We're also talking about Josh Allen. We go back and we revisit Ben's take on Josh Allen before the draft when he was first on this show in April. I find out if he still feels the same about him or if he feels differently about Josh Allen as a player now several months later. We talk about a very strong take that Ben has. He thinks that the Buffalo Bills could be a playoff team right now if they just had above average competent quarterback play. I'm sure you're going to want to hear that. I mean, he even goes so far to say that if the Bills had kept A.J. McCarron, that this season could have been a very different story. That's how much he likes the defense and the head coach and how bad he thinks the quarterback play's been this year. It's a really interesting interview. You're definitely going to want to hear that. Immediately following my interview with Ben, I got my buddy Joe Pinzone. He joins for our recurring The Running With Joe segment. <laughs> I'll tell you, after these midterms, Joe semi keeps his composure. Uh, if you know him, I can only tell you that that itself is a victory. We also talk some Buffalo Bills. We're trying to motivate each other to have an interest in Sunday's Buffalo Bills Jets game. Not likely, especially with no Sam Darnold and almost certainly no Josh Allen. Just not a fun game. Not not a fun game to talk about, but we do. We examine that. We examine what may happen with LaShawn McCoy this offseason and a lot more. Before we end with a little WWE talk, we have a few takes on Crown Jewel last week before looking ahead to Survivor Series, which comes in less than two weeks. Before this podcast ends, and I want you today to stay tuned all the way through, I'm going to be playing at the very end here a brand new musical track from a very, very talented musician from California by the name of Robin Ford. This dude has played with some of the all-time greats. Musicians like Miles Davis, George Harrison, Steely Dan, 
Joni Mitchell, Dizzy Gillespie, and Kiss. I got a track to play. It's called Tangle With You. So again, make sure you stick all the way through to the end, and I'm going to play that for you. Man, this is some bullshit. Boo this man. Before I play those interviews, the big thing going on this week, of course, what a crazy week it was were the midterm elections. I'm so glad that's over. And how you feel about it, I guess it depends on what side of the fence you fall on. For me, I just really hope that things would get a little more unified. I doubt it. I don't have much faith that it will, but man, you got to hope. And I'll tell you, social media has become a really, really shitty place to be these days. And I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I don't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. I don't care if you love Trump. I don't care if you hate Trump. It's just divisive and it's not good for this country. Not, it's not good. That press conference on Wednesday, that was insane. It felt like a fictional TV show. Only it's not. It's real life, man. It's real. Again, I don't have confidence at will, but I, I just really hope everything doesn't have to turn into an ugly battle now. It feels like it's going to. I hope I'm wrong. I don't want to see that whole us versus them mentality. And by us versus them, I don't mean America against other countries. I mean Americans fighting amongst each other against themselves. This ain't wrestling, man. This ain't got to be WCW versus NWO. This doesn't have to be, you know, going back using the Buffalo Bills as reference. This doesn't have to be Camp Doug Flutie against Camp Rob Johnson. You know what I mean? This is just, it's real life. I just want the ugliness to end. We all have to be better here. That includes me, and I'm sure that includes you as well. I apologize for my semi-political rant there. First time I've done it on this podcast. Hopefully it'll be the last, or at least the last for a very long time. Got a packed show for you today. Let's just dive right in. Here's my interview with NFL insider Benjamin Albright, followed by the running with Joe. All right, my guest today is a sports radio and TV guy based in Denver and one of the better known and more respected media members in the business today. He was on this show a week before the NFL draft in April to talk Josh Allen and a few other things. And I have him back on today to talk Josh Allen and a few other things. I'm talking about Benjamin Albright. How you doing, Ben? Thanks for coming back again. Oh, no problem, man. Good to be back. It's definitely great to have you back on. Before we get on to this interview, I'd like to encourage people listening right now to go back in the Moranalytics podcast archives. I believe it was episode number 13, back on April 19th. I had Ben on. Nice, long-form interview. That interview was more about getting to know you, growing up, your education, your background, your takes on several things, Twitter, sports media. Of course, we talked a lot of draft stuff, a lot of Buffalo Bills stuff. That was a fun interview, so I'd encourage everyone to go back. Now, for this particular interview I wanted you on, you know what? Let me start by crediting you for a major signing that happened in the NFL this week. You were the first to report that Des Bryant was working on signing with the Saints. You've been on the story since the very beginning, yet if you read tweets on Wednesday afternoon about the signing, particularly from Ian Rappaport from NFL Network, he cited a source that source wasn't Benjamin Albright and essentially took credit for that story. When it was you 
who was on it first and you who reported on it first. So I understand that, you know, to some people who don't really care much about who breaks stories or sports media in general, that it could feel a little bit petty. But as a media guy who makes his living, you know, breaking stories and, you know, being having the ability to break stories, make your credibility rise or fall, again, making a living on that, how insulting and infuriating can it be to see other people out there getting credit for stories that it was actually you who broke and you that worked on first? Uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It used to be, it used to be really, uh, almost angering. Um, you know, but as I've gotten, uh, I guess as I've gotten a little bit older, it's, it's still frustrating, but you know, we, we've kind of built this thing retail and people, people understand now. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't have a platform behind me like ESPN or NFL, NFL network. So, uh, there are people that, that go out there and they claim credit for things that they weren't first on, but, um, you know, in the end, I think that as we continue to grow and continue to do the right thing, more and more people start to see that what we're doing um, and what I'm doing is something that's that's credible and has integrity behind it. Uh, and I think that that builds relationships. You know, I think that uh, one of the things that it's allowed me to do is continue to build relationships with people. And that, that allows me to, um, you know, maybe tip them off and get them some info ahead of time so they can pre-write something and then I can go ahead and break it and and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it, it creates a symbiosis and they're willing to, you know, they're willing to tip me off to things that I may not have been aware of later down the line. So, Yes, it's frustrating, um, but you know, in the end, I think that I'm doing it the right way, and and I hope that that translates in the end. Yeah, and listen, I agree with you 100 percent that you know networks like the NFL Network and ESPN they have those major platforms, but you might not have quite that platform. However, you're not some blogger who's on Twitter with 200 followers, you know, writing this little mom and dad blog. People know who you are; they follow you. You have well over 60,000 followers on Twitter. So I don't buy the fact that, you know, someone like, I'm just using him as an example in this specific case, but someone like Ian Rappaport, I don't want to hear that they don't catch wind that you're out there reporting something. You know what I mean? As opposed to somebody like me or Billy Bob, again, who has 200 followers who might throw something out there or dart against the wall. You're a credible dude with a lot of followers. So you might not quite have that major platform that they do, but I don't buy for a second that those guys like him, Schefter, all those people, that they don't get wind when you're out there reporting facts you know, or stories, I should say. Um, you know, they, they do at times. Um, Adam Schefter actually follows me. Yeah. Um, we've had some good conversations back and forth and, you know, I've had the opportunity to share some information, you know, behind the scenes. I think it's funny that, um, the, the public facing information or how the average person gets information, uh, can be vastly different from the private, uh, way information is shared. Your, uh, your favorite insiders are, are oftentimes in my mentions asking me things and then, you know, confirming stuff and, and reporting and things like that. And, and I'll never steal some somebody else's scoop. If they come to me with something, I'm never going to, you know, I'll confirm if I know something or tell them I don't know if I don't know something, but I'm never going to steal that. But I think it's funny, the, you know, the detractors that we still have, there are still some people out there that aren't believers in what we do. And, um, I think that, you know, the detractors out there don't realize that, uh, a lot of times they'll, well, I'm going to wait for Schefter to confirm, you know, well, Schefter was in my mentions 20 minutes ago looking for a confirmation. So, um, you know, I think that, I think that, and by the way, Adam's a good dude. Well, sure uh, I think is, that, yeah. um, you know, it's been fantastic. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times the, the public just doesn't know what they don't know. Right. I agree. Well, let's leave that part there. Everyone knows you're the one who broke that story. People know that that's, I guess at the end of the day, I suppose that's what matters most. As far as Des Bryant himself, 
What impact, if any, do you think he'll have on New Orleans? Joining the team midseason at this point, do you think he'll have an impact on the team? What do you think his role will be with the Saints? I think he'll have an impact. Um, I, I think that the name alone will command some respect. I think the defenses will make sure that they're working to scheme him out. That's another thing you have to pay attention to. Um, you know, if you look at the way the Saints are playing this year, Mike Thomas has uh, some like 70 receptions, just catching 95% of the balls thrown his way. Uh, but the problem with that is that the Saints don't have another wide receiver with more than 12 receptions. Uh, they don't have another threat over there. So what's happening is you're seeing defenses roll coverage over the top of Mike Thomas. They're bracketing him. And uh, while he's still catching everything in the short, he's not getting the opportunity for deep balls. Uh, and it, it allows them to, you know, to kind of play like that or to, you know, keep a guy um, uh, to double up as well on uh, uh, Traquan Smith. Um, you know, they, it was kind of the burner there when all said and done. So if you get, if you get Dez and you make him kind of an off the line, why, um, not exactly a tight end, but sort of playing the Jimmy Graham role from a few years ago, uh, where he can work the underneath the inside slam. He doesn't have the explosiveness, but he can use his big body to create separation. Uh, what you're doing now is you're, you're, you're creating situations where you almost have to go one-on-one with somebody. Well, somebody's going to be one-on-one, whether that's, uh, you know, Dez underneath Mike Thomas in the middle or Trey Quan taking the defense off the top. So, uh, and then don't forget, you got Alvin Kamara in there as well. Um, right. So, I, you know, I think that I think in the end, it just provides you the opportunity to force defenses to be more balanced rather than, you know, put two on Traquan, two on Mike, and then go man the rest of the way. Talking to Benjamin Albright. Ben, I had you on, like I said earlier, about a week before the NFL draft back in April, and you stated on the record that you were being told that the Bills were aggressively pursuing a trade for Josh Allen. In fact, let me play that clip from that talk in April. It's Thursday. A week from now is the draft. You think, as of right now, that the Bills, when they leave the draft, the first night anyway, that Josh Allen's going to be their future potential franchise quarterback? I would put it this way. I would say at this point in time, I believe that the Bills are aggressively pursuing a trade so that they can land Josh Allen, and that's the way I'll leave it right now. Now that the draft is over, and that's exactly how it played out, you were right. Let me ask you this. Based on what you feel and maybe what you know, why do you think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, assuming that Sean McDermott was involved in his decision, Why do you think they decided on Josh Allen over Josh Rosen? Obviously, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were gone in the first three picks, so neither were a real option at that point. Why do you think Buffalo ultimately went Allen over Rosen? Well, they were enamored by the big body, um, you know, big arm of Allen. Uh, There was a lot of... Uh, invocation of a, you know a Cam Newton um, you know in there, which is interesting because Sean McDermott of course had, had come from Carolina, mm-hmm. um, so you know they, they had uh, they had uh, in their minds they felt like another version of Cam Newton, maybe not quite as athletic obviously as Cam, but you know another big arm, big body guys, tough to bring down, built like a defensive end, um, you know with a big arm, and they felt like well he has all these things we can't coach. Now let's see if we can coach up the other aspects of that. Let's see if we can you know coach up. Um, you know, his footwork and, and his mechanics. Let's see if we can coach up that, you know, that accuracy and things like that. And, you know, statistically, that's a losing proposition in the NFL, but the Bills felt comfortable enough to do it. They had a trade uh, agreed to with the Denver Broncos at five. Um, 
uh, the Broncos uh, agreed to the trade and the Broncos were going to trade that pick uh, if their guys weren't there. The Broncos had three guys they had uh, top five grades on, and that was uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Bradley Chubb. And when Chubb was not picked by the Browns at four, they ended up selecting him at five, and that forced the Bills to scramble a little bit uh, and work out a different trade in order to get up and get their guy. Now, in your pre-draft analysis of Josh Allen, you weren't very complimentary of his play at Wyoming College before the draft, and you said that you'd be trying to trade out of the spot before taking Josh Allen. You know what? Let me play that clip, too. What's your personal ranking of these four guys, if it was up to you? Uh, I would take Baker Mayfield number one. That would not even be close. Um, after that, Sam Darnold would probably be my guy, then Josh Rosen, uh, and then try to trade away my pick, uh, then not make my pick, and then Josh Allen. Now, quite obviously, you were joking, and I'm sure any fan out there listening to that clip knows that it's a joke and nothing more than that. But what isn't a joke is that it was obvious that coming into this draft, you were much, much higher on Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold than you were Josh Allen. Based on what you've seen since the draft, with his limited time on the field, he started five games before the elbow injury. From what you've seen from Josh Allen, are you seeing Wyoming College Josh Allen out there still? Or are you seeing a guy out there who's starting to progress and slowly develop into the type of quarterback that the Buffalo Bills want and that the Buffalo Bills are going to need going forward? Well, um, first of all, I had him behind Baker and Sam, and we still have him behind them. Uh, they're they're much better, I think, prospects, and I think they've they've shown that so far. Um, as far as Allen, I was you know I was probably a little too low on him, a little too uh, negative on him. One of the things that I've noticed, um, you know, I get to see him up close and personal in college. Laramie, Wyoming is literally an hour away from here. Uh, I get to see plenty of his games live, and you know, he was just a mess. He was just a guy with a rocket arm running around throwing the football. Uh, you know, to to uh, succeed in the NFL, you get to become a quarterback and not just a thrower. And so, I, I think it was interesting in the you know in the pre-draft process. He cleaned up a lot of those footwork issues, um, and we've seen some improvement on that. That said, he still struggles to process the field quickly, um, and, and you know tries to use his big arm to bail him out at times, and it's not really uh, you know focused on the accuracy. He's definitely improved from what he was as a prospect. But I still am not 100% sold on his long-term viability. Um, the one thing that we need, you know, to get a good, clear, accurate picture of him is an improved offensive line in Buffalo. That offensive line is terrible, does not give him enough time uh, to be the quarterback that he can be. So any evaluation at this point that's drawing conclusions is kind of unfair uh, because he, he hasn't really been put in a situation to shine. Okay. Now, regarding the other three rookies, and I'm talking about Mayfield, Darnold, and Rosen, have any of them been better or worse than you anticipated coming into this draft? Or do you think they're all pretty much where you expected them to be halfway through their rookie years with their respective teams? Well, they're pretty much where I expected. Uh, you know, they're rookies, and rookies are going to be rookies. You know, I think we've been spoiled by uh, the ascension of some guys in their first years starting, whether that's, you know, Russ Wilson or, or Andrew Luck or, or even Pat Mahomes, who's blown the expectation doors off of everybody here with the Chiefs, although it's technically a second year. It's his first real year starting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think um, – 
you know, I think people set the expectation bar perhaps a bit high, uh, but Baker Mayfield looks very good. Sam Darnold looked good in spurts, but he's had some boneheaded things. That's to be expected from a guy of his youth. Uh, and then, you know, Rosen's had some hits and had some misses, and that's that's to be expected because he's, you know, he was playing in a Mike McCoy offense, which uh, is, is utterly predictable and has really no offensive line help as well. Now, I've seen you tweet more than once, in fact, that you think the Buffalo Bills could be a contender right now if they had even remotely good play at quarterback. Do you think that much of the Buffalo Bills defense and of head coach Sean McDermott, that if the quarterback play was just okay or slightly better than okay, that at a minimum they could be playoff contenders right now? Yes, I do. Uh, and to put that in perspective, I'm not an A.J. McCarron fan at all, but if A.J. McCarron were starting, the Bills would be in playoff contention. Wow. That tells me that you really think highly of the Buffalo Bills defense and of the head coach, or at the very least, think very highly of the Buffalo Bills defense. Yeah, the defense is very, very good. The plan that the Bills have is was a good plan. I know they get ridiculed a lot because they went from playoff team to, you know, to uh, to kind of laughing stock. But um, you know, the, the offensive line they've got to fix that this off season. They fix that offensive line, everything else snaps into place. The run game will pick up. Uh, I know everybody talks about the receivers, but you know, a great quarterback can make make mediocre receivers look good. Uh, Peyton Manning did it for years with guys like Anthony Gonzalez, and, you know, and Blair White, Brand Stokely, things like that. So. Uh, um, you know, I think that I think that if you get um, the offensive line and get the protection at least, um, then you might have a shot with uh, you know with with Josh Allen. If not, you need to go out and find a German guy, uh, a veteran you know kind of caretaker, Brian Hoyer, if you will, uh, and, and put him back there because you can win with this team with that kind of quarterback. We saw it last year with Tyrod, who's not that great, um, but you could you can win with serviceable quarterback play. In your opinion, do you think it was a mistake for the Buffalo Bills to not trade LaShawn McCoy? I mean, his stats have been terrible the last couple of games. He's only averaging like a yard per carry over his last few games. Obviously, a big reason for that is that the quarterback play has been abysmal and the offensive line has been a complete disaster. But when you factor in his age and how much money he's still going to make in 2019, and there may or maybe there wasn't a big trade market for him, we don't really know. But there were rumors anyway that he could have been traded. Do you think that the Bills made a mistake by not trading him? Or do you think that they did the right thing by holding on to him for another year because he is under contract one more year in 2019? I think he did the right thing. Uh, I think that they think they've got one more year out of him. Uh, they don't really need more draft picks in the coming draft. You, you only have so many roster spots available, you know? So if you, if you load up on draft picks and you've got a ton of them, uh, and then, you know, you draft all these guys, well, you only have a certain number of roster spots available. So some of those guys are going to end up having to get cut or waived to go to the, you know, go to the practice squad. So, you know, you, there comes a point where you want to make sure if you're stockpiling picks, you're stockpiling far enough in the future that you're actually selecting guys that are going to make the roster, um, instead of being cut out of a, out of a numbers game. So, uh, otherwise that takes just a waste. So, you know, I think that going after, compensation for McCoy at this point is kind of uh, kind of pointless. I think you you take McCoy, you ride him into next year, see what you've got, and when he leaves, uh, hopefully he signs one more contract and you can get a compensatory pick down the line, you still wind up with a draft pick and, and you got the production out of the guy to begin with. Man, that's a great point. Just a couple more questions here, Ben, then I'll let you go. People in Buffalo always have a strong interest in hearing about Chad Kelly because of his Buffalo roots and, of course, his Hall of Fame uncle quarterback, what the hell happened to him in Denver? I mean, you're out there. You know what's going on. You got the pulse of that city and that team really well. It felt like he was on the right track, and then bam, it all went down. Well, he he wasn't, though. That's the thing. It's, it's the same story with Chad Kelly. It's been since college. 
uh, kicked off of two high school teams, kicked off of two college teams, uh, you know, problems, run-ins with the law, run-ins with substance abuse, uh, things like that. And that, that has continued on into the pros. And, you know, Chad has a problem with, with alcohol, has a problem with some other things. And, um, you know, those situations finally came to a head and manifested itself. Um, you know, the fans were, were a bit vocal about wanting to see Chad because he was the shiny new thing, uh, you know, the backup right. quarterback in case, uh, you know, case has been okay, but hardly stellar. And so, you know, fans were, you know, but there were no plans by Denver to be starting Chad Kelly anytime soon. He, he was very clearly very far behind Case Keenum in terms of understanding the offense and being able to deliver accurate footballs. Uh, so after the arrest, you know, the Broncos cut him loose. And, and as you saw, no other team has even tried to touch him. Right. Second last question for you here, Ben. The Bills are sitting at 2-7 and seven through nine games. They got a road game at the New York Jets on Sunday. Darnold, by the way, will not be playing in that game. It's been reported he's got a foot injury. So you're very likely looking at a Josh McCown Nate Peterman matchup. Ugh, oh boy. Anyway, the Bills, again, sitting at two and seven, and they have seven games left. When it's all said and done, when this season's over, what do you think their final regular season record is going to be? Uh, you know, that's tough. They, they could get out to three or four wins, but um, I, I think that's probably the ceiling. Ultimately, you're going to be in position to, um, you know, to make draft picks and, and go from there. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think that they're looking at this season as a season to compete. I, I think the Bills, the way they've they've kind of architected this, uh, this rebuild or the pseudo rebuild is that next year was the year they were going to be competitive. This was going to be a learning year for some young offensive talent. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of the direction they'll go. They're going to look at free agency to finish shoring up the offensive line. Uh, they go to the draft and try to make maybe pick up uh, you know a receiver as well as maybe another offensive tackle. Um, you know, and, and they'll continue to do that. I, I think that you know, like I said, the defense is for more or less built. Uh, the offense they need to go out there and make a few adjustments. But you know, I, like I said, I think this was always kind of a learning year, and that you know next year was the eye on being competitive. Last question here. I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. We're about at the halfway point of the season, maybe a little bit more than that. As of right now, I want your prediction. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? And I'm going to keep this on tape, and I'm going to play it back maybe in six months from now. I want to have you on around draft time next year. See how you did. Who do you got in the Super Bowl? Well, uh, in the preseason, I had picked the Chargers and the Falcons, uh, and I'm actually going to stick with that. I think they're going to get real hot here in the second half of the season. I think both those teams are, are in good position right now. They're going to be real hot here in the second half of the season. I know everybody's going to look at the Rams and Chiefs and say that those are the teams to beat, and they certainly have a point. But I'm going to stick with the original prediction I made uh, and take the Chargers and the Falcons. Falcons, of course, get two of their defenders back this week. Uh, Chargers will be getting both back here. Uh, and uh, both those teams are in prime position to make a stretch run. Well, I'll tell you, if that happens, you deserve elite-level props on that. Nobody's picking the Chargers or the Falcons, let alone both of them. Stick it to your guns. I really like that a lot. All right, everyone. Benjamin Albright. You can follow him on Twitter at AlbrightNFL. Love talking to you, man. Thanks for your time, Ben. Really appreciate you. Absolutely. Take care. All right, it's that time of week, the running with Joe. As always, I'm joined by my buddy Joe from New York City. Buffalo wins on Twitter. I'll tell you what, man, we 
kind of had a conversation before we started rolling this tape. And as tough as it is, we decided it will probably be in the best interest for both of us, definitely in this podcast, to not talk about what we really want to. And that's politics, what's gone on over these last, say, 24 to 36 hours between these midterms on Tuesday night, but more, even more so than that, than the Donald Trump presser on Wednesday. I mean, I'm not speechless too often, but I watched that thing in its entirety Wednesday afternoon. And I mean, my jaw was just dropped. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and what I was hearing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sucks. And uh, I would rather have Russ Brandon be in charge of the Bills for the rest of my lifetime, picking players of both the Sabres, Bills, and any team I've ever liked. And your teams too, everyone's team, then have to fucking go through another day of this asshole just talking <laughs> out of his ass. And I cannot, I cannot, I cannot go through another two years. I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> Listen, okay. I, I, I feel you, man. And again, when I started this podcast, this is, I think, maybe episode 68, something like that. I swore to myself, I said, not going to talk about politics. You know this. When you pick a side, I don't care if you love Trump or if you hate Trump, forget about him for a second here. When you do something like that, automatically you're alienating 50% of your fan base right away. And if you're a political show, like if if our content weekly was talking politics and world events and stuff like that, well, then you do it anyway. And what happens, happens. But this is a sports and entertainment and a pop culture podcast. That's the only reason why I don't really talk about my views or my thoughts on politics on this because you're going to, it's just such a, a divided country right now. You can't really speak your mind without half the people hating you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, in terms of dividing your audience, it's funny you say that. Like, uh, I think about a year and change ago on my, my old website, we, we did a piece where we asked a few local media members, like their thoughts on like tweeting about politics for sports. And there was like people who were like, yeah, I stay completely clear of it, you know, and I don't want to like alienate my audience or maybe they don't care about what I have to say. And there's others who love to do that. And you can, you know, you and I both follow basically the same sports peoples and we know who, who, you know, where they lie in terms of sports. Like Jeremy White is constantly tweeting about politics. Like he doesn't give a fuck, you know, but I, I know one person, I'm not going to say who that person was, but I, I had asked that person, to do the interview series first with me when I asked those questions and that person like refused, like did not, did not even want to even like answer anything. We're like, Oh, I'm good. You can ask, you can do any other interview with me and I'll do something with you. And they, I, you know, they did not want to. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like, you know, depending on the audience, like Buffalo, it's very, I'm assuming like in terms, I don't know your, you know, your listens obviously, but like Buffalo seems more or less like 50, 50 in terms of like, splitting the audience where where i live in queens like in new york city we fucking we hate trump we can't fucking stand him we hate him the only places that like him are like i don't know long island or parts of jersey probably but mostly most of us hate him there hate him around here so well like i said it's the decisiveness that that really gets to me half the people who are listening right now they heard that and they're like right on brother the other half might have turned us off at this point whatever that's a divisiveness we try to stay stay clear of that Here's one thing that's not divisive. We all pretty much know that the Buffalo Bills are a train wreck right now. A few months ago, okay, they're playing the New York Jets this weekend on the road. A few months ago, even if these teams sucked and you knew that ahead of time, and they both do suck, make no mistake about it. They're both, they've both been colossal disappointments this year. 
still, we'd be looking at a Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold rookie matchup, and that would be exciting to see. You know, at the very least, it would definitely be worth watching. But instead, it's been reported now that Sam Darnold's out. He's got a foot injury. He's not going to be playing Sunday. And despite the fact that he's practicing, and I hear some rumblings that he might play Sunday, I'm telling you, reasonably confident right now, Josh Allen's not going to be playing Sunday. He'll be back after the bye. I don't, I don't want to. I'll just leave it there. I'm very confident that he's not going to play Sunday. So in the end, we're going to get stuck in week 10 of the NFL season watching Nate Peterman take on Josh McCown. The Nate Peterman Bills versus the Josh McCown Jets. That may literally be the NFL's most uninteresting game. Forget the week. The entire season, man. The entire season. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's horrible. I was gonna make the joke. I'm like, oh, it, it's so appealing. Like, did did NBC flex the game to primetime already? Because it's so. We got Peterman versus McGowan. We got we got basically the battle of uh, your uncle telling you that you know if the, if these quarterbacks had the offensive line, I think McCown or Peterman would be really good. Like that's those are like these type of pl- players right here. Like just those short pass passing quarterbacks and yeah it's it's a it's a shitty matchup it's also the matchup that only that i can watch on my couch from home because it's it's going to be local here in queens and you know normally i either hit up a bar or i watch the game on a feed on my computer and this is like the one time i can actually sit on my couch comfortably watch it on my fucking flat screen and be like oh it's 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 buffalo and and yeah this game sucks it's going to be the drizzling shits the dude the bills are losing this year by an average of 16.1 points per game that's more than 2 points worse than the raiders or any other team in the NFL again you know we came into this season not expecting a lot i don't know if we were expecting 2 and 7 well i think me and you were most fans yeah. weren't though you know 500 maybe a game or two below that but losing by an average of 16 points. And that also takes into account, you know, a close game or the two wins that they had. You add all the scoring up for the year and they're losing by an average of three scores a game right now. That's just, man, it's hard to believe that so much could change in one season like this. Yeah, dude. I, I, you know, you talk about losing by X amount of points. I was looking this up on pro football reference. And since the merger, the bills point differential is the 15th worst through nine games since 1970. Wow. That's how bad they are right now in comparison. They are, they are horrible. I mean, they, you and like, you just alluded to, we both thought they were going to be this bad and yeah, they, I I don't know if I I thought they were, I definitely could have seen two and seven. Like I picked them to go five and 11 this year. I definitely could have saw two and seven at this point, but I don't think I could have seen it to where the offense would be as horrible as right. they are yeah. losing by like 30 points or, or like they're just getting their asses handed to them. McDermott's got like, I think, I think I, I tallied it up. Like he's got eight, he's got eight losses as a coach by 20 points or more. I mean, that's, that's a year worse. and a half. That's, yeah. A year and a half yeah. into his career here. That, that, that's, yeah. that's hard to believe. I was doing the math and I was looking up how from like 20, tw- from 2012 to 2016, the bills had the same number of 20 point losses in like a four year span. And that's during like the the, the shitty Chan Gailey, like you know Dave Wanstead year, and you know Jeff Tool Fat Lewis years, you know, and all, and all that sort of stuff. It's just it sucks. And this game, you know, it would have been fun to have Josh Allen versus uh you know uh, Darnold because it would have been like, hey, here's the here's the first round quarterbacks going against each other, you know, and you know we're probably not going to have that. And even if we did have that, I'm not going to lie, I, you know these 
Darnold hasn't looked that great this year so far. I mean, he's had he's looked like a rookie where he's like turned the ball over like crazy and mm-hmm. he's looked good. And then Josh Allen, he's you know he's got he's got fucking what one half of of decent football that we've seen, and we can go over all the excuses or blah blah blah. But uh, you know, right. even this matchup on Sunday with those two quarterbacks, if they were playing, I it would probably be it would like be ugly, but it would be fun. Game. It would be something worth looking forward to because they're both rookies. Yeah. You know, if you're a New York Jets fan, you want to see Darnold out there. Just like with right. the Bills, you obviously want to see Allen out there. You already know what Peterman is going to give you. You already know what Derek Anderson is going to give you. I don't ever want to know what Matt Barkley is going to give me. I don't ever need to see that Ugh. in my life. You know what I mean? Matt so Barkley. at least the, the enticement of those two rookies, you know, two of the top seven picks of the draft, that would have been fun to watch. But Peterman, McCown, I can't imagine. I mean, New York's a big market, so the rating will do okay just for New York alone. But I guarantee you, man, if you took away... You know, the Buffalo market and the, and the New York City market, God, I don't even know what the ratings for this game would be. Just absolutely horrible. I, I can't think of a worse and, game. Yeah, and and don't forget, we're going to have the Miami game soon where we're going to have Brock, uh, you know, Osweiler, who sucks too. You know, he's he's, he's on the same pattern yeah. as a, a McGowan. And, like, yeah, we, we got that to look forward to. Yeah, there's some there's – some, and then we got Blake too. We may have a Peterman versus Bortles game. You know, that's going to be like the, the world's colliding. Like, there are some <laughs> shitty well, games for us to look yeah, forward to. I, like, I think Allen will be back for that game in a couple of weeks. Uh, it could happen. I mean, who knows? We don't take that for granted that he'll be back. You know, one guy who's definitely not happy, he's not talking to the media, that's LaShawn McCoy. On Wednesday during the press conference, when asked if LaShawn McCoy has, has expressed any unhappiness about a trade not working out, because there were a lot of rumors, and we've talked about him on this show, that he might have went to Philly before the deadline. He did it. Anyway, the coach, Sean McDermott, said, and I'm quoting here, those conversations and all those conversations, whether it's player and myself, a player and Brandon Bean, Brandon and myself, those will stay confidential. Not very much, you know, a vote of confidence that they weren't at least looking into trading him. McCoy's clearly not happy. I mean, I guess if I was averaging a yard per carry over my last 24 attempts, I probably wouldn't be happy either. How long do you think that this will go on before LaShawn McCoy might finally say something that's going to rile some people up? I can't imagine him staying quiet if things stay the way they are much longer. Well, you know, I I don't know if he's going to talk because it's been what, like two, it's been what, 10 days now since he's talked. I will say this. I totally think he's going to ask for a trade in the offseason. I think he knows his time is ticking. I think he wants to go to a, a contender. I don't care how much room the Bills have in the cap or what what they do in terms of picking guys in, in the draft or free agency. They are at least like a year or two away from doing anything. And I think McCoy knows that. I think he's pissed off. I think he thought he was going to get traded. And then when he found out he wasn't, that's why his mood swings have been the way it's, it's been right now. I think he's going to ask for a trade in the offseason. I, I I could totally see him not talking to the media and just being like, yeah, I'm done. Look, there are, there are players who, you know, may boycott the media. Maybe he'll just be short with them and do like a quick, you know, you know, uh, Marshawn Lynch, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined kind of presser thing. But it's obvious he's not happy. And I think, he, I, you know, and I, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, you could be, I mean, I don't give a fuck if he doesn't answer reporters' questions. I can care less. I mean, Half these athletes don't even say anything remotely interesting and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't I don't blame him. Like, he's trying to get in the Hall of Fame. He probably – once he saw that that report, like, he – and he reads – you know, he reads this shit. 
once he saw that like the Eagles were interested in him, you know, like he was just being like in his mind, like, wow, I can maybe go back to the place that I like started my career with. I didn't want to really leave and they're freaking good and they just won a Super Bowl and I can go back there and that could be my swan song for my career. You're like going back where I started and then boom, it's gone. And I, I can I can get him being a moody right now. And and I, I totally think he's going to ask for a trade next offseason. I could see that happening. I don't know that it will happen, though. I don't know what his value will be. There might have been. I, I'm pretty sure the Bills entertained an offer from Philly. But to keep him, it must not have been much. And I can't imagine that Philly would want to give them much more in the offseason now when they would only have one year of him instead of a year and a half. But I do agree with you in the aspect that he's not happy here. And I would not be surprised at all if he does this offseason ask for a trade or, or to get released, something yeah. like that. And maybe the Bills accompany it. Maybe they don't. I think you're right. I think I could see an offseason where yeah. it becomes an issue if, if, if he's not moved. Unless the Bills they make would, some really big moves, which who knows yeah. if that's going to happen. They would have to be super active like right away to like show him that. But again, I, I don't know how active you can be. Like That free agent list is not that enticing to where you know mario williams isn't walking through that door right you know what i mean neither is neither is like the kirk cousins of like wide receivers so i i you know i under i understood why they kind of kept him because like hey you, you know we talked about you know you don't eliminate a hole blah 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 but like again like it's if, if he's not happy that's 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 definitely a red flag and also again it doesn't doesn't make sense for you to be this shitty and have a 30 year old running back on your team. And lastly, in terms of running backs, look, you can find running backs anywhere in the draft. I mean, anywhere you can, you can get fifth rounders who could be decent running backs. You know what I mean? Like you could just pick a guy there, you know, you know, it's, it's just been proven that you can do that. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's something that it's, it's going to be worth watching right now. Cause right now he's, he's not talking and I think he's not talking cause he's not happy. Well, right so. now on this offense, I think Ivory's actually the better running back. Now don't get me wrong. I think LaShawn McCoy's a much better running back than Chris Ivory, but on this particular offense with this particular skill set that they have and their inability to hold blocks, you need a no nonsense guy. You're not, not a guy like Le'Veon Bell would be a disaster here because Le'Veon Bell is the kind of guy who, you know, likes to pick his hole, read the play, and then make his move. You ain't getting that opportunity behind this offensive line. You know what I mean? No dicking around here. You better hit that hole yeah. hard. You better hit it fast. And for that reason, that's the only reason why I say for this offense, I actually think Chris Ivory at this point is better than LeSean McCoy. Um, oh gosh, I... I think LaShawn McCoy needs to stop. He needs one straight ahead, you know, because that's what Ivory does. I think that's the difference right yeah, now. Yeah, but that's not like, really what Shady does. That's not what makes him, yeah, you know, a I borderline mean, Hall of Fame guy. But he, look, but here's the thing. Let's not. I I, I, I don't. I don't want to like give Ivory too much credit. It's not like he's he's killing it right now. Oh no, no, you know not, what I mean. Like he's been he's been better, but he's better by like what, like three yards. Like yeah. That's almost not three... even a compliment. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's, like he's not how it's... unproductive shady has been. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, just, it's just, it feels like they're, they're doing this when you do running back by they're splitting carries. Like I, I don't have the carries in front of me. I should have obviously beforehand, but like, it seems like they are splitting carries between both backs. And I think when you do that, it makes it tougher for it's easy for one back to have better numbers than the other back, you know, like if you gave, if you gave shady, you know, if they, if they're averaging what, if they're getting 10 to 12 carries 
both of these guys per game. Ivory's got you 80, know, Ivory's got 80 carries on the year. Shady's got 85 on the year. And exactly. So Ivory's averaging like, 3.5 and Shady's averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Yeah. So in, in a vacuum, it's not that big of a fucking difference. So it's just, I don't know. I like, like the yards per carry are like the same. So it's just like certain times when it's like, Oh, he, he made a, a nice run. Well, geez, he's better than he, he's better in this offense. I don't know. It's just, Right now they they can, I don't I, right now they can't run the fucking football. I don't care who's back there right now. They well, cannot run the football. The offensive line sucks. Yep. The passing game gets they, these these defenses are like yeah yeah beat us, Derek Anderson. We're gonna put eight people in the box. Same with Peterman. We're gonna put all these guys in the box, and it's just impossible for them to run out of any formation. It's I, been that way all year. I couldn't agree with you more, man. And, and so we're clear here. I'm not taking shots at Shady. I don't think he's old and washed up. Not talented anymore. I don't think he's quote unquote lost it or anything like that. It's just a product of no respect for the passing game. You got eight, nine guys yeah. in the box. And even when you don't, one on one, you could have four or five guys in the box and the offensive line ain't fucking blocking anyone. Now, you mentioned the word active, and I'm glad you said that because listen, the Bills need to be active this offseason on that offensive line. I saw another stat. Jason from Over the Cap had this. The Bills only have. $12.5 million invested in this current offensive line. Not only is that the least in the NFL, but the next lowest is Houston, which is literally $9 million more. So the Bills have invested the least amount of money against the salary cap in the entire NFL, and it's not even close. That, to me, more than the, more than the wide receivers, which everyone wants to talk about the wide receivers, and I get that to an extent. I really do, because they're not good either by any means. But, man, listen, you ain't doing nothing on this offense. I don't care who's behind center until you improve this offensive line. They better make that priority number one this offseason. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not making that a priority number one. Why not? It's, it's Who, wide, what's your priority? It's wide receivers, dude. It's wide no, it's, receivers. I, I, I don't agree with you whatsoever on that. No, no. Okay, well, first, a couple of things. First, part of the reason why that they've only invested $12 million is because Richie Incognito lost his mind. And Eric Wood got hurt. That I mean, they were going to be here this year, and that that money would have inflated that. Uh, it would have, like, and the offensive line probably is a lot better with Wood and Incognito, right. assuming they're yeah. both healthy and, look, and you know mentally sane, of course. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm going wide receiver, tight ends over the offensive line, and I, I'm not saying like you know let's not fix the offensive line, but I think. I think there's always been this like chicken and the egg with the offensive line in, in, in the NFL as a whole. Like if it's, I remember like one time, like there was this, I, I looked this up years ago. Like there was Drew Brees, like one of his best years, his, his highest, the, the lineman who was the highest ranking in terms of where they were drafted was somewhere in the third round. Like they didn't even have like first round talent or second round talent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it was always about the system. Like the system got the ball off quick. Drew Brees was good. That's how it works. That's not where you get the system. You know, I've seen I've seen offensive lines where like it, I always go back to like 2009, where like the Dick Duran Bills had like they had Eric Wood, they had Levitri, they're the same guys, and their offensive line sucked. Like they couldn't protect, they couldn't they couldn't do well in run blocking. And then like when Chan Gailey came in, he like developed a scheme, and they were running like crazy, like they were like near the the top in yards per carry. You know, so again, and was and was with the same personnel up front. I think that that goes a lot into it. Now, am I saying they should roll with the same five guys? No, they should make some improvements. But I would rather put way more stock into wide receivers, tight ends, 
than offensive line right now. You know, that's that's how I would do it right now. Because I think I think it's more of a detriment what you got right now. Again, next year they got fucking Zay Jones as their only like wide receiver on this on this roster. So they 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 need they need everyone. They need every wide receiver, Damon Roosevelt, whoever. Get them here. So if the Bills say they pick fourth in the draft next year, and I'm not going to name names because neither of us know shit about NFL prospects in November. We're not Matt Miller. We're no draft guys, at least not right now for sure. If you had the fourth pick in the draft right now and you had a really highly rated left tackle and you had a very highly rated wide receiver and you had that fourth pick, you would you would pull the trigger on a wide receiver before a tackle? Yes. Not even close. I would go wide receiver. I, mean, I actually, if I'm the Bills, I'll be honest with you, and this is like on a, I'm freestyling here, I would trade down. They need so many freaking picks right now. I would trade down and get as many picks as possible. Agreed. But that, yes, I agree. That's the best case scenario, but not me. I see I'm on the opposite side of this, man. I'm taking that yeah. tackle right now. Yeah, I'm moving great, Deion bro. Dawkins because I don't think Deion Dawkins is a very good NFL left tackle. He's better probably suited on the right side or maybe even guard. The, 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 dude, the line's just a mess, period. By the way, Wyatt Teller may get his first start at guard this Sunday. Not sure why it's Dukas that's taking a seat instead of John Miller, but whatever, man. I'm all for anyone new on this line getting some looks, especially a rookie like that. If the kid works out and he looks decent, that's one less thing maybe you got to do in the offseason. Uh, I have no faith in fucking Wyatt Teller. He's a six-rounder. Give me a none. pick. Give me a pick for Sunday before we move on. Oh, oh God. Oh, I'm going with uh, the Jets. Jets 17, Bills 3. Do you know how bad I was last week on Facebook, bro? I, I picked Chicago to win 23-10, which I didn't think was outrageous. But I got and I did this on Tuesday show when I was talking to Bucks. I got to call myself out. I said Terrell Pryor was like the X factor. He was going to be the big Bills bright spot. That oh, was God. pretty accurate, wasn't it? Yeah, you're, you're t- the takes are horrible. Well, I didn't <laughs> know why I'm on this podcast. Well, yeah. you know, by the way, is it in your contract or something that I'm not allowed to talk Sabres or Yankees with you? I mean, I already know Yankees, I can't, I, I, I already I don't know I can't do 80s music with your ass. No, you could do some 80s music with me if you ever wanted to. Um, Yankees, I don't give a shit about. Uh, Sabres, I do like. They have actually, they've been good lately. I'm, I'm happy with them. They're, they're, they're playing a fun, up-tempo style of offense. Their trade acquisitions this offseason have been really good. Skinner's awesome. Sherry's good. Um, they've been fun to watch. I don't, you know, it's you couldn't be anywhere. Like, look, they, they were rock bottom last year, horrible. So... You know, anyone who, if they would have been at 500, which they've kind of been at so far, I would be like, oh, this is great because it's different because they've been they've been so shitty for the last, like, you know, five, six years or whatever the case may be. But I like them so far. Yeah, I do, too. Now, you're my guy for football and you're my go to guy for sports media. However, it's kind of this must be a pretty boring time for you right now, because there doesn't seem to be any media media crime to report on of late in the Buffalo media. Anyway, dude, even our boy Mike Harrington. He seems to be playing nice with everyone lately. Mm. Yeah, he, he is. But you know, it's 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 been a it's been a it's been a very slow what month month and a half. I think the last thing that was like awesome was when was when Harrington and Graham almost went at it, and they were gonna like it, it felt like they were gonna fight at the Sabres practice or something. I the wanted someone to videotape that. I was it, I was more into that at that point than the team itself. Yeah, nothing has happened. Yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of, it's been very quiet. That's your it's thing, dude. Early. Media, you, you get to put that siren out there. You love that media crime shit. Yeah, man, I do. But there's there's been nothing of it. I'm trying to think if there's anything. The only thing I saw was like the, with the priest stuff in Buffalo where like the Channel 7 guy threw shade at the Channel 4 guy because the, the Channel 4 guy 
interviewed the archbishop and like didn't ask him hard questions. Like that was the last thing I I put up with the sirens <laughs> was something like that. I had to do with news, but yeah, it's been it it's been very quiet. I mean, it is what it is. I, but at least I got I got John Murphy. At least I could throw up his memes and yeah, make fun of him. Yeah, those are always how, a good time. Those are always a good he's time. He's terrible. He's awful. Don't if he's if he's ever on this podcast, I quit. Just so you know. And by the way, I'll throw it out there again. Your Twitter handle is at Buffalo Winds. You do have some really good media. You know what? You have some really good gifts and memes. That's another strength of yours. I got to give you props on that. You're really good at yes. using those. Stop blowing smoke up my ass. Uh, yeah, I'm, I know I'm, give, awesome. I'm trying to, I'm trying not to think about politics. And when I don't do that, or when <laughs> I don't think about kiss. the bills, it puts me in a good mood. By the way, one more media thing. I want to throw a little bit of props out to Matt Perino from um, upstatenewyork.com. He, that, there was a rumor going around in the last couple of days. Some fans started it that Nate Peterman on Sunday after that game took his wife out for her birthday. He said he didn't name the place, but that he went to a local restaurant and some idiot fans were harassing him and even threw food at him. Anyway, Matt talked to the Bills and confirmed that that's a bullshit rumor and that it didn't happen. But it was picking up a lot of steam. So good on Matt to, to get to the bottom of that and throw it out there. By the way, I mean, goddamn, I, listen, no, nobody likes Peterman less than me and you probably, you know, talking about him on this podcast every week. But that's just over the line. There, there comes a point. Let, let the man go out. And have dinner. Now, I'm sure, you know, it's been proven that no one threw food at him. But I'm sure that he probably does go to restaurants or or bars or something like that. And he probably does get harassed. Probably a little more than he deserves to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I maybe. I don't know. He, he seems like a guy who goes home at 8 o'clock at night and <laughs> drinks his milk and goes to bed. Uh, yeah, I think if anything, I, the rumor that started was because some asshole fucker just tweeted it out. And oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah. Just- Yo, hey, by the way, did you hear about the, the somebody? Now, this is some loser shit as far as I'm concerned. Somebody started a GoFundMe page for Nate Peterman to retire. I mean, if, if you got nothing better to do with your life than go out there and start a, a GoFundMe page, which is used for some very real life needs when it comes to charity and, you know, people in need. To go start a fucking page to get a quarterback to retire. If you're doing that and you're out there doing that, or you're donating to that, not knowing if it's actually going to go to charity or not, then you're a you're a fucking loser. Simple as that. You're a loser. Yeah, there's a lot of people on the internet who are losers, Pat. You know, me, for one thing. No, but like, sir, yeah, there's you know, people are fucking idiots. I mean, what are you going to do? I try, I try not to. Like we talked about with the politics and everything, you know, it's like. Uh, there's so many idiots out there and you try to like block those idiots out, especially like, like if this asshole's like starting to go fund me page, like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Like, yeah. That's just, there's just a lot of idiots. It's loser is shit. what it is. You know, speaking of losers, that, that that's what, that's what I am. I admit that because I always try to end our segments with a little bit of WWE wrestling talk. I'm proud to be a loser. If you want to, if you're out there and you think I'm a loser because I like to talk about wrestling, then I, I gladly, I accept that. I don't have no problem with that. Loser. That's yeah, all right. Bye. I'm good with that, bro. I'm good with it. Last mm-hmm. Friday, in fact, as our the podcast dropped last Friday, Crown Jewel was on from Saudi Arabia. I personally, and we'll make this quick. I don't want to drag on this for long. I thought it was one of the worst cards I could remember in a long time. It reminded me of some corny WCW shit we'd see in the mid-90s or maybe like the Halloween bash and shows like that. And, and after the Bischoff run, just... Absolute terrible, terrible booking. What did you have any thoughts on it? I don't know if you watch it live or if you caught a replay after, or if you just read about it or whatever. What were yeah, your thoughts I, on Crown Jewel? I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I think the three big, big points to like talk about, I would say, is the Brock Lesnar Braun Strowman match did nothing for Braun Strowman and right. made him look like a complete jobber. 
They, I, you Why? Know, I Why do you listen- think that happened? Why do you think they went that route? Well, because what they wanted to do was they wanted to they wanted to make it out like Braun was against the odds because he got hit in the head with a fucking belt. And that's and he had like a really bad chant, bad start. And that's why he was playing or he was fighting right, like shit. Right. I and get I that, don't but like the whole why give Brock? Why not have just Strowman be, be the champ? He's there and he'll defend the belt or at least represent the belt I don't, every week. Why of, give it right back to Brock with the same CN4? I mean, he's going to do Survivor Series, but then you probably won't see him again until January at some point. Uh, I get that's that, it's that old adage. There's, there's money in the chase, maybe. I don't know. They, they, they've been fucking with Braun with the championship for a while now. Like he cashed it. He had money in the bank and he didn't win it then when he got, when he cashed in and, yeah, I don't know why they did it that way. I mean, it would have been nice to, you know, to get to have him beat beat Brock. But then again, think about this: he wins the title and he he does it in Saudi Arabia, which is like, you know, that's that the whole backdrop of them doing it there was obviously controversial. So if you go back and you and you think of like, oh hey, we're gonna have highlights of him winning winning the title. They're gonna have a highlight of him winning it in freaking you know in uh you know in Saudi Arabia. So maybe that was kind of an issue for them, you know, with Braun it being his first title win. I just didn't like it. Like, if I would have booked it, look, if you want, I, I like Brock. I could watch Brock do F5s forever. Me I think too. He's I, think, I think he's awesome. But, like, they should have had a, more of a competitive match and then, like, have 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 uh, Corman hit him with the belt at the end, and that's what cost him. And then do the F5 bullshit. He got nothing in it. And the other thing, too, with Braun, if you saw him running, Braun is, uh, he's, he, I think his knees are, like, shot. Because if you see him war- run, He's a slow as shit. Whereas before he used to do that that run around the around the ring. Yeah, he'd he kill Kevin Owens. Faster. He would kill Kevin Owens all the time. Yeah, and now he's not looking at, at as good. And that, this is what happens when you're a big guy, and sometimes your knees are like the first thing to go. But that was the, that was the thing I'd look for. But the Shane McMahon thing. I, I mean, it's it. I don't know if it's setting up a heel turn. That's what yeah, that's what the dirt sheet say. That was weird, man. It was weird. Yeah, it, it was just it was just stupid. I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm sick of the fucking McMahons. I'm sick of them all over my fucking TV. They're everywhere. I you know I watch old Raws with this other this other wrestling podcast. They will do watch along. So like I'm I I do a watch along with them when I'm listening to their podcast. So I've been like stuck in the night the late '90s Raws, and it's all about Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon, and Stephanie McMahon. Twenty fucking years later, it's the same fucking yeah, shit about it them. It's nauseating. It's just like enough, dude. Like just have a booking committee like the WCW days without having a fucking face to that. But that, that was stupid. The The last match, you know, HBK did some cool stuff. It was good to kind of see him, even though I, I keep, I keep getting freaked out by seeing him bald. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, he looked good, but it's just like, you know, like he looked good, but the match wasn't that good. And that's what happens when you got, you're working against Kane and undertaker. Like if, if Shawn Michaels worked against like AJ styles or fucking Daniel Bryan, that would be just, tits it would be awesome it would look good but because he's working with undertaker and kane who are like on their last legs basically and they wrestle one match a year it, it wasn't as good so it, it was just it was it was a weird pay-per-view overall just everything that led up to it with the whole controversy of saudi arabia and all that shit and yeah. and now they're like they're rushing through freaking survivor series buildup but we got one more week week and then it's survivor series and lastly with one more quick I did not like how I do, I do not like how they've been booking Kurt Angle. Like he is, yeah. I'm fine with him putting guys over like the Drew McIntyre's of the world. Like cool, do it, but give him some wins. He, I don't think he's pinned anyone since he's been back yeah. at all in all these matches. He just he's 
WrestleMania, he didn't pin Triple H. It was I think Ronda Rousey was the one she made uh, Stephanie McMahon tap. He loses to Dolph fucking Ziggler. Yeah, that made like, no sense to me. Clean too. It wasn't yeah. even because of interference. I mean, he just lost clean, flat out, straight up, fair and square, clean. I didn't like that at all. I completely agree with you. What did you think yeah. about? See, were you mad or not? Not mad. It's not us. The, I get the mad judge. about wrestling. No, not, not yeah, about that. Mad. Okay. Well, Cena and Daniel Bryan refusing to go do the event. I mean, they made it in the storylines why they weren't there. You know, they didn't. WWE didn't come right out and say that. Good you know, for these them. Guys refused. I'm good. Yeah. You, I'm do you think it was the right that. move for them? Yeah, totally. It's the right fucking move. I agree. Like, you know, the worst yeah, part. Good for them. This was a terrible show. I don't want to say pay per view. Whatever you want to call it. They came off the heels of a week, just a week before Evolution, which kind of blew me away. I mean, that was way better than I expected it to be. That might have been the best show of the year. Now, you mentioned Survivor Series. It's like in less than two weeks now. I'm getting different to it. No buildups. I don't have a chance to really care about it. But I will say that Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch match, they're doing their best to make that interesting right now. And then you got AJ versus Brock at a rematch. Those two at least appeal to me. What are your thoughts on those real quick? I think I I think I like the Styles Brock match. Uh, it was really good last year when they did that Survivor Series. I think AJ is going to win it this year. I think they're going to return the favor. They should. And then you know I love Becky Lynch. Like she's probably right now the best thing about that company right now. I agree. She's awesome. She's she's great. And her work her work rate is awesome. She can th- that last man standing match was great against Charlotte. I think she's probably going to lose, though. Me too. Uh, against Ronda, but hey, you know it's. I, I like I like the whole them champion versus champion thing that they're doing for Survivor Series. I really Survivor Series for years used to be a really shitty pay per view for me, like because they would do those survival matches, and I was like, yeah, whatever. But since they since they did the bland split uh, split and they done the champion versus champion, I've dug I've dug it, and I, I'm kind of pissed off that they only have like again they've got two weeks to build this, which is incredible considering that Survivor Series is one of the top five pay-per-views they have yearly. I feel when it comes to Survivor Series, I agree with you about the champion versus champion matches. I do love them. Make it about the competitors competing against each other. I hate the whole Raw versus SmackDown type thing. They don't give a shit. One week, maybe two weeks out of 52, they care about each other because they're on Team SmackDown. The fucking half of them next year are going to be on Raw anyway. So what does that shit matter? I hate that. I don't mind it. I, I like it having different, pe- unique. I mean, I, I do wish they had, because last year, if I remember, they had a lot of d- unique guys in that match. Like they had Triple H in it. They had Shinsuke. They had like yeah, Angle was Shane in it. Or, or Shane McMahon was in it. Yeah, there was. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. Sh- fucking course, Shane yeah. had to be in it. Like everything. Fuck Shane. I'm sick of Shane McMahon. No, I don't like the only thing that's good about him is his sneaker collection. Everything else is just fucking annoying. Did you know we? My wife and I named our son after Shane McMahon. No lie. No. That's the truth. No. We were going oh back God. and forth on names and. He was hot during that time in the, in the early 2000s. We say he came out, his music came out. There you go. Shane Moran. Uh, named after Great. Shane McMahon. That's your, that's your Moranalytics podcast fun fact for the week. Great. I can't wait. When he plays football, he should, when he does his intro, he should do, he should do the here comes the money theme when it comes out of <laughs> the tunnel or whatever. Yeah. All right, sir. Since we have a wrestling theme segment title here, we use the running with Joe. We find it appropriate to make your final take each time out. We call it your finisher. So it's that time. What's your finisher this week? Thank you, Pat. Okay. Well, Pat, you know, we've done this podcast, uh, what, since August, and there are a few things that you will not get me to budge on and that I'll gladly die on the island of denial. So, you know, there's the blue-collar bullshit narrative that I've bitched about. The preseason is, imp- is important narrative that I think is bullshit. Uh, today, you already heard my politics takes. 
Uh, but coming now, right on the run-in, is blaming the salary cap for the Bills' woes. I've seen this on Twitter way too much recently, and i got to stop it. Okay, a few things. One, the salary cap has always been bullshit because it's very easy to manipulate, hence why it's bullshit. I've seen players over the years who get a new contract and everyone goes, wow, $90 million for Tyrod Taylor. But the devil always lies in the details because he's not getting $90 million. And it's not going to be simple division of five years divided by 90. You see that you can bullshit it where you have a team options or you can have it where the cap numbers are smaller in different years or bigger in different years. I keep seeing how the Bills have all this dead cap money and don't have that much space. And that's why the team we see is a big pile of horseshit. Well, that's crap. We've talked to nauseam how next year the Bills are supposed to have $90 million salary cap. And that's why you could have signed guys back in March and play with their cap numbers to have them cost more next year than this year. So they could have easily been more active if they wanted to. And before I get hate tweets, I'll always use the example of when Jarris Bird signed his $55 million deal with the Saints. New Orleans at the time was just $2 million under the cap. They got away with it because they fucked with the yearly figures. Any team can do that. And please, show me an example of a good NFL team that went down in flames because of the cap over the last 10 years, the cap goes up every year and the owners will always have the power to get out of those deals. And they don't go into salary cap jail. And everyone fucking makes it out to be second. Stop blaming Doug Whaley for the salary cap mess. I am not a Doug Whaley guy, Pat, but how many players did Whaley give extensions or new contracts to that didn't deserve it? Did you have a problem with Jerry Hughes getting paid? Kyle Williams, Eric Wood, LaShawn McCoy, Aaron Williams, Mario Williams. Sure, there were some guys that didn't pan out like Darius, Glenn, and Clay because of injuries, stupidity, and all that sort of stuff. But stop acting like Doug Laley was signing like the Mark Andersons or the Billy Lanos of the world and destroying your cap. You can blame some of the cap on him, but most of it goes to the fact that McBean wanted to kill off the majority of the players from the previous regime and did so while burying their own cap number. And while some of the cap woes are self-inflicting, it's not that big of a detriment. Again, the cap can be bended and broken for you to just try to add players during any given season. Anyone who tries to say it can't be is misinformed or just, they just want to find excuses for this regime or they just want to get on their soapboxes and say that this player isn't worth the money that they got even though they aren't going to see the whole deal through. The Bills could have signed more players last offseason, but they decided to basically suck for this year and wait until next year. And that's totally fine if you want to do the rebuild and wait. Just don't try and pass the buck by saying the cap is whacked and that it stopped the Bills from building. You can trust the process all you want. Just don't trust the cap as something that damaged the process. Good writing, bro. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you once again to Benjamin Albright, NFL Insider, returning to this podcast for a second time. Strong takes on the Buffalo Bills. He has strong takes on everything, so that doesn't surprise me at all. This man thinks the Buffalo Bills could have been a playoff contender, and they kept A.J. McCarron. I found that extremely, extremely interesting. Love having Benjamin Albright on. Looking forward to having him on again. Great guest. Also, thanks to my guy, Joe Pinzone, for coming on, doing the running with Joe. Extra props to Joe for not having a Donald Trump implosion. I totally thought that was coming. Good, strong chat, like always. One of my favorite segments of this podcast, the running with Joe. Love doing that with him. Guys, I say it every week. 
I'm at that begging portion of this podcast yet again. If you haven't done so already, please go to Apple Podcasts or go to iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I really don't care. Subscribe to this podcast. Just go on your phone, do the app search, find this show, hit the subscribe button. That's all you got to do, man. That's it. Bam. New episodes, they automatically get sent right to your phone. You can play them and you can keep them. You can play them and you can delete them if you don't want to take up too much memory on your phone. Doesn't really matter. And if you don't have iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, you can catch us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Listen Notes, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. You're not doing it? Follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. And like I said here at the very top of the show earlier, I'm going to end today with the musical track. I've done this a few times previously. I played a couple tracks from Buffalo-born Caitlin Cook. I love her. She's so talented. Today, I got another very talented artist, Robin Ford, based out in California. Five-time, five-time Grammy nominee. And he's played with some of the absolute legends, legends of the music business. A list including Miles Davis, George Harrison, Steely Dan, Joni Mitchell, Dizzy Gillespie, and Kiss. He's got a new album. In fact, that new album is dropping today. It's called Purple House. I'm going to drop that album links and put his website in the show notes as well. This single that I'm playing, it's called Tangle With Ya. I'll talk to you again on Tuesday. We're done here.